0: To go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn right in the middle of it, and we're going to be actually today in a uh, book called the Book of Proverbs. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Uh, let me just start off uh, saying hello on a uh, breezy day uh, to uh, the other Western North Carolina campuses. We're assuming that they have power. If we somehow lose power, we'll tell you what to do uh, right in here. But thanks for being here again. Uh, here's where I kind of want to start. And by the way, if uh, if you were one of those campuses, if you would just understand, here in a couple weeks, you'll start to see a succession of starting point classes coming up. That's a great place to get your questions answered. I know y'all, a lot of you are new to the church and like, what do I do? How do I get plugged in? That's the place to go. Or you can talk to somebody in the lobby about connect groups. There's actually a connect group every single day of the week that would fit kind of who you are, so make sure you don't uh, miss out on that. But let me, uh, let me remind you, those of you that were here for maybe five or six years ago, uh, I expressed a frustration to you about six years ago, and the frustration was is as God was growing Uh, our church, and particularly as we started growing and then launching different campuses and stuff, I expressed a frustration that I started, I had prided myself on being able to know people's names, and it got to the point where I stopped being able to know people's names. I was like, man, I wish I could call this person by name, and I could not do it. So I jokingly made a reference in a Sunday sermon to say, you know what, if I see you or you come up to me, and I just accidentally say, like, and and the phrase was, it was, Big Ticket. Like if I just call you Big Ticket, that's on me. That's my bad. That just means I should know your name. I cannot remember it at this moment. It's a senior moment. I can't call your name. And so I would just say, what's up, Big Ticket? And you all got a big got a big laugh out of that. And that has morphed into a few other things. Big Ticket, Big Time, Big Player, Big Tuna, Big Whatever. So when I say that, it's like, man, that's that, that, that means I, I wish I could call your name, but I don't. And I say that to say this. While I might or might not be able to immediately Say, okay, that's Jim or that's Jack or that's Stephen or that's Susie. Well, I may or may not be able to do that. I do know some things that are true of every single one of us here, all right? Uh, First one, let me give you about, let me give you two, maybe three. One thing I know about all of us in here is the fact that you talk, all right? You communicate, you talk. Some of us talk a lot, okay? You talk, some of you don't talk as many, some of you raise the average. Fifteen thousand words a day is the average amount of words that the person speaks. All right, fifteen thousand words a day. Uh, you do it in the hallway. You do it in the kitchen, the car, the factory, the boardroom. You do it to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your grandkids. And if it's not just talking, there's about uh, there's there's twenty other different ways that we communicate. For example, in the in our country, there's one point five million texts that are sent every single minute. There are 6,000 tweets every single second. There are 1 billion Facebook messages every single day, and there are 250 billion emails sent every single day. So whether it be by a tweet, a text, a comment, a note, a conversation, you and I communicate, and we communicate a lot. That's one thing. Second thing I know about you is, is you've had some conflict in your life with those that are close to you. You've had some conflict. Maybe that conflict that is the most pregnant with you is a year ago. Others of you, it's a month ago. Others of you, it was this week. Others of you, it was this morning. And there was a conflict that happened. Words were said, doors were slammed, maybe things were thrown. It wasn't pretty at all. I'm constantly amazed even now. It amazes me how many people you have a friend maybe you used to be close to and you're not close to them anymore. Uh, Some of you got into nasty job situations. Others of you said something and subsequently you got fired. Others of you had to walk out on a business partner. Others of you, you avoid certain people at work because you're like, you know what? I remember last time I was with them, it didn't go well at all. Let's be blunt. Some of you have left churches, and you've come to this church because of conflict with people at your old church. Some of you have family conflict. It might have been in your marriage. It might be with your in-laws or your parenting or your politics. Maybe it was, maybe it was over Christmas, and everything was planned great, and it just went south quickly. Why? Because conflict ensued, communication was done, words were said, and then relationships were severed. And so when you see all that, uh, I would say this third thing is I would say, it's pretty safe to say you've either been hurt or you have hurt other people with some of the stuff that you have said. Let me say it again. You've either been the hurter. you've said some stuff. You're like, you're a terrible father. You're a horrific wife. I never wanna see you again. I want a divorce. I wish you were never born. Some of the most hurtful things as well as the things that jar our memory, our biggest joys, our biggest pains. That's where it is. And so what we've been doing in this little start of the year series is we've been talking about resetting the table. Table's a metaphor for close relationships, not exclusively family, but it definitely includes family. Resetting is just the idea of things can be different, that the God who says, you know what, with me, all things are possible, that God, that God who does not sleep or slumber, he wants to do something in our families and in our relationships. One of the things we talk about all the time is the gospel starts off vertical. It's when you repent of sin and embrace Christ by faith, that's a vertical dynamic that has to happen. But once that happens is it has an impact on the horizontal, on your relationships. It should change us as husbands and wives and fathers and parents and children and employees and employers, it should change that. But reset means the idea of a fresh start or a new beginning. It's the idea of I'm gonna look at these things differently. It's really the root part of the idea of repentance. Repentance is I wanna see something differently than I have before that will lead to a change in action so I act differently than I did before. And so what we've talked about, the first week we talked about you you have to stop the pain. We looked at Joseph in the Old Testament and the family conflict that he had, and his brothers sold him into slavery and all the healing that had to take place there about family forgiveness. And then last week, we actually looked at the whole idea of the covenant in marriage, all right? That it's a covenant. It's not a consumer deal. It's a covenant deal. It's not a contract deal. It is a covenant deal. We've got a couple more weeks, but here's the one that you might think is, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a close friend or whether it be your spouse or whether it be your parents, this is the one that's like, that's what I've got to, this is the dynamic that can change literally in the next two days, the trajectory of that relationship can change. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Now before you sit there and go, some of you think of Proverbs as little pithy sayings that are like skills for living, and that would be a great understatement of what this book is. This book is in a section of your Bible called Wisdom Literature, okay? It's things like Job or Psalms or Song of Solomon. Some people actually put the book of James in the New Testament in this idea of wisdom literature. And it's the idea of, you know what, I'm going to set up some things. God's like, I'm going to tell you how things work in the creation that I put together. They're patterns, if you will. If Psalms is ointment that is like ointment to your soul in a difficult time, and the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear. If Psalms is ointment, Proverbs is like smelling salts. It is to shake us awake to say, listen, if you continue down this path, then you can assume this is going to happen. They're not promises, as like other parts in the Bible. They are proverbs. They're saying, you know what? God set up a system. God set up creation to have patterns at work, and you oftentimes see juxtaposed against each other the wise person, the foolish person. Now, the wise person is not like, oh, this is like, you know, <laughs> this is like the perf. This is Yoda right over here, and he knows all. Listen, we all have a bent of. Foolishness that we always are going to fight. Okay, the only perfectly wise person was Jesus Christ who made every perfect choice, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die. That's the gospel. But what the goal would be is wiser decisions more of the time. Because what you do see is you see a picture of wisdom in this book. Wisdom is just making better choices more of the time, good choices that generally lead to better results. It's not that there's not an occasional exception, it's basically saying, It's like today, there was like a 95% chance of heavy wind. And guess what? It's windy, all right? Have they ever been wrong? Yeah, they've been wrong about 50% of the time. But generally what they're saying is, if it's saying this is going to happen, you probably need to dress accordingly. That's the Proverbs. They're saying if you act this way, there's a 90% chance this is what's going to happen in your life. And so what we wanna do is figure out how do we make wiser decisions more of the time, particularly when it comes to fights, fighting, in your family. I don't know if you've had we've had some fights in our family for sure. All right. Some of you, I've had some fights in my marriage before as well. Some of you are like, oh, Miss Lori, she's so sweet and kind and she wouldn't. Miss Lori can bring it, all right. She just need to understand she can flat out bring it. So I as I prepare this, I this is not me saying, look, you be this is us going along and saying there's gotta be a change and then there's a challenge at the end. So Generally speaking, at our church, what we do is we look in one text of the Bible and we go through maybe a, you know three verses. Sometimes it's 10 verses. Maybe a long one might be a narrative that's maybe 15 verses. Uh, that is not the way Proverbs is structured. They're not all... Uh, in one chapter, it's not like all these things are about communication and all these are about conflict and all these are about money. That's not what it does. They're scattered throughout. All right. And so what I did is I went through and I looked through virtually every single proverb that has anything to do with communication in conflict. And then I've tried to group them into some patterns that you see come up over and over again. So again, I'm going to have all the verses uh, up on the screen, all but just a couple of them. And what I want you to do is just understand uh, the major theme in the, here. This is actually brought up over 90 times in the book of Proverbs. And here's, here's kind of the, the one just to set the table. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to give you four general action points. This is We don't do a lot of, uh, do these six things and God will be happy. We don't do a lot of those sermons. We try to anchor it in what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And I will do that. Understand, that's where it all comes from, all right? You get, the, you get the ability to be forgiven and have a fresh start because of what Jesus did on the cross You and I have the power to implement these things in our life because of the empty tomb. But understand, here's what the kind of context is today. This is where some of you all are. It says a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. It's painting a picture of a family where offenses have been done, a marriage where words have been said, and it's like you might as well try to like bust into a castle as opposed to trying to get some forward momentum in this home. And so... Uh We understand, I don't think anybody in here would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. We've never had any tension in any of my, if that's you, you're like a monk. That's the only way that that happens. You're gonna have some tension. You're gonna say some things, some things are gonna be said back to you. What we wanna say is better choices more the time. And here's a verse that in some ways sort of encapsulizes all of this. And here's what it says in Proverbs 18. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. To summarize all of the book of Proverbs about this whole element, here's what it says. It says you can either kill people with what you say or you can give life to people with what you say you choose. That's basically what it is. You can give life, you can give death, whatever it is. You can you can speak life into your wife or into your kids or into your grandkids or into your friend. You can do that or you can abs- you can speak death into them, but you make the choice. That's kind of where we are. So. Here's what I'm going to do. I would encourage you to take notes uh, for sure. Uh, Jot some of these down. These will be ones, whether you use them this afternoon, whether you use them next week, whether you use them before church is out, uh, whatever. There is a a verse in the Bible somewhere that if you take notes, you get a bigger reward in heaven. It's in Deuteronomy somewhere. But just realize, just jot notes down. It'll be much more helpful for you. So here's kind of the first one. This This is one... On purpose. Let's start with this one. Recognize when it comes to what you say. This is not a. This is not like that little mucous membrane in your mouth. That's the issue. Understand that. It's not the. When it, the Bible talks about your tongue or your mouth or your words, it's not talking about you know. Do you have collagen in your lips? It's not talking about how big is your. It's talking about your heart, and what's in your heart is going to come out with the words that you. Say so. Here's here's some of the verses that we'll kind of unpack for a minute, and I highlighted heart. All right. So, here's what it is: uh, Keep your heart with all vigilance. This is actually a phenomenal verse for just life in general. It says, "Keep your heart." Some of your translations say, "Guard your heart." Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance. Why? Why would I do that? Because from it flow the springs of life. Other translations say, because from it flow the wellsprings of life. Let me give you another one. The heart of the righteous ponders, and this is a key word. I should have highlighted it. The heart of the righteous ponders, thinks about, contemplates how he's going to answer. You'll see a ton of Proverbs, we won't go over them today, about the man who's slow to anger, who's long-tempered, who doesn't speak real quickly. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked, you could actually say righteous wisdom, wicked, foolish. But the mouth of the wicked, the foolish, pours out. And it's a pretty grotesque look, all right? Pours out is the idea of vomiting. It's just like open mouth, all these words just come out. It says the the wise person, stewards, thinks, okay, is this hill worth dying on? Is this hill worth dying on? So um, when you look at these verses, here's a couple of things. The heart in the Bible is... The term for mind, emotion, soul, spirit, will, think about it this way, it is the causal part of you as a person. Your heart is the causal part of you as a person. It is the st- if you think about a car, the steering wheel actually dictates where is that car going to go. In the Bible, your heart is your steering wheel. Whatever's in your heart is gonna dictate innumerable choices that you make. Jesus put it this way, just you can jot down to the side, Luke 6.45, he says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, and here's the, here's the phrase, for out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is saying out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. What's down in the well will come up in the bucket is what Jesus is saying. If Jesus were from Texas, that's probably how he would actually have said it to begin with. But the idea is, you know, what's down here is going to show up up here. How many times have you said, you know what, when you say something, you say something, you're like, wish I hadn't have said that, wish I hadn't said that. And then maybe you say something somewhat lame like, you know what, I don't know why I said that. That's not in me. That's not it. It is in you. It is in you. It wouldn't have come out of you unless it was in there to begin with. But what happened was pressure, circumstances, temper, arguments, put so much pressure that all of a sudden the self control was gone and pop out came what you are saying what was already there now you think about symptoms of a bad unhealthy heart i've told you before uh, Franks and our family, they just, they just die young, okay? They die young, and half the time it's heart issues. So I say that to say if I fall over right here, I'm not faking, okay? It's not an illustration. Somebody help me. But the idea of a heart issues, heart dysfunction, are things like, you know, maybe your arm hurts or maybe you are having chest pains or uh, nausea or whatever. And what you got to understand is there are some things, there's some symptoms When your heart is messed up and it's not being cultivated and it's not healthy spiritually, the stuff that comes up, and it's not just what you say, it is what you say, but it's also when the heart's messed up, some symptoms are what you say, but it's also really how teachable you are. It's not just what you say, it's okay, what about when somebody says something to me? I think I got a couple of verses up here uh, for this one. This is all heart related. And you say how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. Reproof in the Bible is basically correction. It's somebody coming up to you saying, hey, bro, I see some stuff in your life that is kind of concerning. I'm your friend. I love you. I want what's best for you. But man, I saw when you kind of really, really, man, you really, really injured your wife right there in connect group. I saw that, okay? How do you respond when that happens? Here's another one. A rebuke, this is such a good picture, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding. Again, that's the picture of a wise man. (laughs) Than a hundred blows into a fool. What he's saying is this like, you tell a wise man, hey, I saw the way you injured your wife in connect group. And man, I tell you what, just my own thing. You ought to go apologize to her. Okay. Get apologized. The wise man's like, man, that's, that's a good way to, that's good. I I need to do that. Thank you for pointing that out or at least eventually gets there. The fool, you can tell him a hundred times and it's like, boom, 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 boom. He's like, what? Hit me some more. boom. I mean, you can do it a hundred times. And he's like, it's not, it's what, what are you trying to get across? The fool in the Bible is the person that continually does the same stuff all the time. He's told the same time he's been told for 10 years. For 10 years, listen, you got to control your words. You got to stop popping off. If you don't stop popping off, you're going to get fired. But he's like, I, I don't care. I go down that road. It doesn't work out well, but I'm just not going to do what it takes to get away from there. So uh, here's a couple of things. Um, now, again, we all need some reproof. Let's, let's be, let's be at church today. One of the core signs in the book of Proverbs is you have an understanding Understanding and part of wisdom is you recognize, you know what, I have a natural bent. I have a natural inclination to do bad stuff, and I have a natural tendency to have blind spots, stuff that is um, not strong. And if you're pursuing God, you want to grow in some areas. And so we all have that. But here's the question let me ask you a question at church How do you respond when or if you are corrected? How do you respond? How do you respond the last time your spouse came up to you and said, hey, honey, here's, here's some stuff that really, really needs to change in our marriage or in our family or with the kids or with the budget? Or what? How did that go last time? When you got corrected, when your friends, your parents, your coworkers, your boss, your employees, you're like, nobody, I haven't had any correction in a long time. I must be perfect. No, no, it's not that you're perfect. It's you're unteachable, okay? Nobody wants to come up to you and you like blow up like Mount St. Helens and bless them out and just, you know, don't talk to me. Who are you to talk to me like that? People at work don't talk to me like that. Who are you to talk? We say stuff to our family we would never say to other people, correct? I mean, there's some stuff that's flown around in our houses that like, man, I hope nobody ever sees that out in public. And how would that be if somebody said, I have a tape recording of the last month of everything that every single word that came out of your mouth, all right, it came out in front of the TV, it came out on the golf course, it came out at your dining table, every single thing. It's not, it's like, no, it's not fun at all. It's not fun at all. So here's uh, how do you take correction? All right. As a matter of fact, let's do a little experiment. I'm, I'm not sure I want to do this. Hendersonville is great at doing this because Hendersonville are participatory people, correct Hendersonville participatory people, man. They are like on it, on it, on it. They got 35 mile an hour winds today. We got like 30 here in Arden, but they're like participating. So here's, i going to see how you do it. If you're sitting next to a person that's a loved one of yours, all right, just uh, on a scale of one to five, one to five, how approachable, um, how approachable you are. All right, how approachable you are. Five means you are very approachable. He's like, man, I just really want to pursue God. One is, do not ever point anything out to me. I right, just uh, right now, I want you just on a scale of one to five. Let that person next to you turn to you and say, um, here's the number. Some of you are like, I'm not looking at the person next to me because I don't want to be corrected, all right? I don't want them doing that. That is not a teachable spirit at all. It's just, and you're, some of you are like, well, what about you? Uh, uh, let me ask it another way. How much correction can you take without firing back? I mean, uh, how much can you take without finding fault with them, impugning their motives, shutting them off? You know what I am absolutely all pro? I am all pro at pointing out Lori's faults It just happens to be right after she has pointed out my faults, okay? When that happens, I all of a sudden become like an all-pro pointer outer of the stuff that is wrong with her and why she's got to get her stuff correct. And, and you're like, and I mean, it's hard for me. It is hard. I have opinions. If you don't know this, I have opinions about everything. I do. I do. I don't share them all up here. And they're decently well thought out. Most of the time, my wife says I'm often wrong. I'm just never in doubt. So here's, 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 here's the way that that works. All right. Here's the way that that works. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm married to that person. Um, here's, here's the way that that works oh, okay. Last week, I said about five years ago, we had a person that for an entire five days poured into our marriage, poured into our marriage. We saw some patterns we didn't like. We're like, we've got to break these patterns. Let's get an outside person to come in and let's deal with these patterns. And this is it's embarrassing to say, but I'll say it anyway. There's one part we did separate and then we did together. And one part, the guy looks at me. Man, it was just, I was, I, this is so bad. Um, he looks at me and he says, because we'd gone through all our stuff. And he looks at me and he says, now she's not there, or I would have bowed up even more, but he looks at me and says, Bruce, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? You want to be right or you want to be happy? I got to tell you, deep inside my heart of hearts, I thought being right makes me happy. That's (laughs) part of what I had to fight against. But what What I've tried to grow in is, listen, I can win the battle and I can lose the war. I can win the argument and yet injure a family member who I love deeply and yet walk away going, yeah, I won that one, showed him. You know what I've never had happen in any family member, much less my spouse, I've never been in an argument and then showed her how logical my viewpoint is and how illogical her viewpoint is. Not one time has she ever stopped right in her tracks and go, you know what, I'm just now realizing because of the strength of your argument how stupid my argument is, and so I just, I, I, you know what, that's it. You are so wild. I've never had that happen, all right? Anybody? Anybody? No, no, I hadn't either, all right? So part of it is like, you know what, My heart has got to, uh, my heart has got to grow in that. And here's what happens. You're like, well, that cannot happen. When you embrace Christ, there's a reason the Bible says you get a new heart, okay? You get a new heart. Now, he doesn't transplant your physical heart. He gives you a new heart with new desires. A new. It's like, I want to be a godly man, okay? I don't want to just be right. I want to be a godly man. Your job as a Christ follower is to cultivate that heart. If you just ignore that and never deal with heart issues, what's going to happen is it's going to get overgrown and overgrown and overgrown. Weeds are going to come in. Nothing is going to grow there that is healthy. Your job through church and fellowship and Bible reading and prayer and repentance, all those things, that is cultivating your heart to be teachable. So the first thing is i got to realize this is not a mouth issue. This is not a tongue issue. This is a heart issue. So the rest of them, if we get the first one right, the rest of them are a little bit easier. Here's one that is so prevalent throughout Proverbs. I could have given you probably 25 verses on this. But it's respond slowly. Respond slowly or slower than you normally would. This is a great verse, 426. Ponder, it's the same word we looked at a minute ago. Ponder, think about the path of your feet. Proverbs is not saying, what a, hey, it's concrete, it's, it's not what he's saying. It's like, think about where this path that you are walking down, think about where that's going to take you. Think about where that ends up. He says, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Let me say it again. It means to think about where is this taking me? Where is this pattern taking me? Before you decide to react, before you decide to fight about, think, do I want to go there? Will I regret the cost that this is going to cost me long term? One of the places we were in the on the 10-year the sabbatical in the fall was Oklahoma. One of the things about Oklahoma is it is full of toll roads, toll roads, toll roads. Everywhere is toll roads. A second thing is I never remember, I never remember to bring quarters or I don't even carry cash anymore hardly, okay? But I'm looking at that line. I'm looking at that line over there. I'm like, I don't want to stop there. I actually saw a guy trying to throw dollar bills one time into that little coin collection. I was like, fool. He's a fool. I'll never be that guy. But what I do, and it's just, again, man, this is like pastoral confession day or something. But what I do is I will like drive through the whatever it is, passway, passgate, pass, whatever that deal is, knowing that they're going to just send me a bill. And I'd rather pay five bucks down the road than stop and wait in that line to pay five bucks now. Anybody with me? Anybody? Okay, but here's here's what I gotta ask. Even before you take the road, even before I say, I gotta go from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, I gotta ask the question, I say, is this path worth the cost? And what you have to ask before you let it go and you get into that argument again, is like, you know what? Is this really worth it? He's trying to figure out who you voted for. Is this really worth ruining Christmas? Is it really worth dying on this hill? And the wise man doesn't die on every hill. The wise lady's like, you know what? I don't have to be right right here. Sometimes we say stuff because we react real quickly. And here's what, here's what the Bible calls us. Um, Proverbs 26, 21. This word right here, as those of you that are either grammar people or Bible study students, as is a connecting word. It's a comparison word. It's saying, I'm gonna show you something that's like something else. I'm gonna give you a word picture so that you can say, okay, that's what it's like. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, as charcoal to hot embers. And what, what, what's charcoal to hot embers? It's fuel, that's what it is, it's perfect. It's fuel, it's fuel. It's like, you know what? I'm going to throw some charcoal on these already hot embers. Why? Because it's going to get hotter in there. And it's saying it's charcoal to hot embers and then wood to fire. What's wood to fire? Fuel. It's the same thing. I'm going to throw a bunch of wood on this fire. And he says, that's a picture of a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A quarrelsome man is a person who says, you know what? I will always be right. I will always win this argument. I always have to have the last word. Every hill is worth dying on. It's the email person that caps every single word that she's saying. It's the person that exclamation point every single word. It's that person to say, you know what? You're just putting fuel on the fire. Um, I gave you another picture. Uh, All right, here's a we love. eh, It's been. It's probably been five years. But, you know, I don't even know, somebody tell me the best, uh, somebody email me the best Japanese steakhouse in Western Carolina because I have not been, I don't think I've been to one in years and years, but we used to love going. And Part of the deal is, part of the deal is you get an awesome fried rice, but the other part of the deal is that guy would come out and what would he do? I mean, he's like, he's pouring that stuff, it's like fire, you know, it's like fire, it's like, that is awesome. And they get the little choo-choo train and, you know, the volcano, all those little things You're like that's entertainment. I like that. I like that. Now, uh, he's saying, that's what a quarrelsome man's like. And some of you are like, well, I'm an extrovert and I'm a seven on the Enneagram or whichever, whichever one is the talker. And he's not saying, he's not saying that you've got to be some introvert who never talks, all right? What he's teaching us is it's wise to be good managers of our words and do not use them to injure other people and to be real slow in reacting. There's a story that, from Abraham Lincoln that he had, a, that guy had a, man, he had some thick skin, okay? And there's a story we won't go into, but this guy that was just attacking him, attacking him, attacking him, attacking him, ended up making him part of his cabinet. There's some great stories like that, but one of the things he had, he's like, I'm not going to answer something. I'm trying to actually do this now because, be honest, uh, every now and then I'll get an email that's really just not really well thought out and I feel like I can punch holes in that thing so quickly. See? See what I struggle with? I struggle with being right. So I feel like I'm like, I can point out five things on this thing and how out of context this verse is that you're using. That's what I feel like doing. What I'm trying to learn is, and that's you, by the way, if I end up answering that email quickly, I'm sorry, I'll tell you on the front end. All right, what I'm trying to do is like wait 24 hours, all right? wait 24 hours. Lincoln said, I'm not going to answer somebody that's criticizing for 24 hours because that, what happens is 24 hours allows him to kind of think about it and ponder the path of his feet. Here's another one. Uh, Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. The wind? What a great one for today. Okay? It's, it's making a lot of impact out there, but out there like I'm going to go capture me some wind. That's not, that's not happening out there. Okay, what he's talking about is zero, nothing. Your inheritance will be nothing. It says, if you trouble your own household, you will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. Uh, You guys know also, like last spring, mom passed away. And I I don't even think I've ever told you this. My mom, the last uh, about two or three years, there were some things she did not do that now when we found out, and we're just now finishing working through her estate, it's like, why didn't you do? You could have, you should have given us less and you could have done some stuff. You could have done some stuff. You could have, like, done that trip you wanted to do to Paris or you could have done that stuff. Why? Now, do that because she was phenomenally loving and she wanted to do something. That's what, in her, I, wanna, I want you to have this after I'm gone. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing lady. Compare that. This guy's like, I got nothing. An inheritance. The fool's like, you know what, I'm going to inherit. When I'm troubling my own household, I'm inheriting nothing. I am taking an ax to the base of my own tree. And there's about three words, by the way, in the book of Proverbs for this word right here, fool. This one is actually, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, a which describes a person who's acted like a fool for a long, long time. Never learns, never corrects, never thinks, you know, the last time that really, really hurt my family. Let me be blunt today as well. Today at church, we've got, some, we've got some very wise people in here. Wise doesn't mean you're perfect or you don't ever lose your temper or you don't ever say something you regret. That's not wisdom, right? That's perfection, all right? Jesus is perfect. We are not. You are still a sinner after you come to Christ. What wisdom is, wisdom is a person who is making better and better choices and their heart is soft enough so that, you know what, even as they're sitting here, what they're saying is, you know what, that's something that God needs to correct in me. That's something that God needs to correct in me. And before they leave today, they're like, you know what, I've got to say some words or I've got to make some apologies or I've got to do this. That's the wise person. But there's also some fools in here, some fools, I'm not pointing, you You shouldn't call somebody a fool. I'm not calling you out, all right? I'm just saying there are some fools. The fool is the person in there that is like, you know what, I just, whatever, you know what? She just needs to get over it. He just needs to get over it. You think about the last, you think about the most painful things in your life, 90% of them are based on words that were said to you. Might've been from a coach, might've been from a parent. And what the fool says is like, whatever, whatever, I'm not gonna work on it. I'm not gonna let God convict me that's a fool and so what we want to do is uh it's like you know what here's what your inheritance is going to be bro right there okay inheritance is going to be not a zero zilch inheritance think legacy You're like how's that going to happen number three is uh we kind of dealt with this in week one but it's all over proverbs as well and release some offenses that uh happened to you look at this verse great verse Whoever covers an offense, the word covers does not mean pretend it didn't happen. It doesn't mean sweep it under the rug. That's not what it means. I'm gonna tell you what it means in just a second, but note this word in your Bible. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So the word covers there, again, it does not mean glossing over, pretending it didn't happen, It doesn't mean allowing yourself to get hurt without speaking up or protecting yourself. That's not what it means, okay? Uh, Proverbs has a lot of places that talk about confronting evil, confronting foolishness. The word covered means, you know what, uh, that got paid for, okay? (laughs) Last personal illustration. I'm like on number four already today, all right? This this is a great week, all right? Great week, all right? So, uh... Wednesday, one of the days this week, maybe Tuesday. All right. So I have a, I meet with a lot of people on lunches or breakfast. Why? Because you got to eat. So let's, let's spend time instead of just eating alone or eating at my desk. So uh, this week, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, um, a breakfast and a lunch. Okay. And so I'm at breakfast and the the bill comes. The bill comes and the server says, Hey, um, your bill has been taken care of. Somebody has covered it. Covered it. And then we usually ask, did they cover your tip as well? And she's like, they covered everything. It's like, awesome, all right. Our lucky day, it's awesome, all right? So we're like, that's a a good start to the day. So four hours later, I have a lunch meeting, different place, the bill comes. Somebody says, your bill has been covered, all right? You don't have to pay, your bill has been covered. It's like, it's a phenomenal day, all right? So by the way, today, Lori and I are gonna follow one of y'all to figure out who's paying for lunch. But here's the idea. When they said, when they said, I will cover it, they don't mean, you know what? Hey, get up, dine and dash, leave without paying. Pretend you didn't eat. They're not saying that. They're saying they are gonna absorb the financial cost to the damage that I did at that restaurant. They're gonna cover the cost of what my meal, our meal cost. That's what they're gonna do. So when the proverb says, a wise, man, a wise man covers over an offense, here's how that works. You get offended, you and I sense something is unjust. Something goes off in us, it's like there's been a wrong done, somebody's gotta pay. Now we've talked about this before, But just because you seek justice, just because you think justice needs to be done, that in and of itself is not a wrong thing. I would actually say that's part of the imago Dei, the image of God. God is a God of justice, all right? And that part, you and I tend to get it for wrong reasons, but just the mere fact that you're like a wrong was done, an offense has occurred, something has to happen. There's a sense that somebody must pay. And so the proverb is saying the way we tend to repay it is we repeat a matter. So what do we do? We repeat it to uh, we repeat it to them. Sometimes it's them. <laughs> Any of you all ever had a spouse, and I'm just going to say spouse in general, anybody uh, have a spouse or a family member or a loved one that gets historical in arguments? Anybody? You're like, you mean hysterical. I mean historical, all right? Historical is the idea of bringing something up in the midst of an argument from way back, way back. I'm talking about record year back. I'm talking about eight, 10 years back. What that is an indication of is that is not a covered offense. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to repeat that back to you. And every time I repeat it back to you, your debt gets a little bit lower. And if it's not enough to repeat it back to you, I'm going to repeat it back to, as the proverb says, close friends I'm going to get some people on my side. I'm going to tell some people at church or on the ball team so they can then take up the same offense. Has it ever occurred to you how you feel just a little bit better when we slander people? Have you ever noticed, like, when I slander somebody, it's like, you know what, I kind of know that was sinful, but, man, I feel better about actually doing that. Why? Because you're like, all right, I'm repeating that, and it's bringing their debt down just a little bit if they are, quote, paying for it. Loved ones, this is where you've got to understand. This is where it's like I've got to understand to some degree I got to understand the gospel. Like, how am I going to understand it from that verse? You know, what's interesting about that verse is that verse is actually said in a couple of different ways. Let me give you one more and I'll show you how it's both here and in the New Testament. Proverbs twenty twenty two 22 says basically the same thing. It says, do not say, I will repay evil. You wait for the Lord. You wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Now, the New Testament actually puts it even more pointedly in the book of Romans, which is the most gospel-driven book in the entire in all of the epistles. And here's what it says. Just jot down in your margin Romans 12, 19, and 20. Here's what it says. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. This is the addition that Paul puts on it. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What that's saying is this the way that you lay down and you lay down that offense is you realize number one, if that person is a Christ follower, Jesus has died for them. When they offend you, when they do something offensive to you, you can say, you know what? God died for them. That sin that they just committed, He absorbed the vengeance for what they just did. Vengeance is His, He will take care of it. If they're not a Christian, then God promises one day He will settle all scores. He will settle all scores he will settle it here or he will settle it in hell but god does not miss anything loved ones some of you are like well i don't believe i don't want to have a god of justice because a god of justice will make everybody else want to take." no the only way you can actually forgive somebody truly that has really offended you is if you know god didn't miss that and god is god will even the score at some point so um, i tell you what's interesting this last little section on it's always kind of, it's hard, it's hard to do, but let me read one more verse. This is right after Paul says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, which I didn't even know until this week, that's a quote actually from another part of Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then commentators are mixed on what this next one means, but I think it's pretty obvious on the context. Because by doing so, by doing what? By feeding your enemy when he's hungry and giving him something to drink when he's thirsty, By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, how many of you right off the bat think, I like the idea of burning coals. All right, I like that idea. Let's just skip to that part. But what it's actually saying is that that would go totally against the context of what he's saying. He's saying, no, you be kind to that person who has offended you. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Because he says, then you will be heaping burning coals on their head. What could that mean? Somewhere in there, it's the idea of convicting that guy that what he did is wrong. What she did, it's the idea of waking him up. Folks, this is actually, this is what the gospel did to you. Question, did God wake you up to the grace found in Jesus simply by pointing out all your sins? That's not all he did. He didn't just convict you, he also overwhelmed you with the grace of Jesus found in the death, burial, and resurrection of his great son. The book of Romans actually says, it was your kindness that led me to repentance, God. It was your kindness. We think people change because we criticize and we get on them. You know where people really change? When they really change is when we show grace to them when they did not deserve it. That doesn't just change the behavior, that changes the heart. I can honestly say, the times when my heart has been changed the most is when Lori has showed me the most grace. Grace. The times when it's just pointing out the faults, you know what? It's like, I don't like, don't like that, don't like that, I resist that. But when grace has been shown, you know what? The heart has been changed. That is why a Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, what does it do? It stirs up anger. All right, so here's where we're going to go. Here's where we're going to go this week. Actually, not this week. Here's what I thought about. We're going to do this thing this next two days. I thought about giving you a seven-day challenge. I'm like, man, we can't, I can't do seven days. I don't know. I mean, I I do like two days and I'm like gone. So we're going to do two days in just a second. But here's what you got to, here's the last little part. Replace, and I don't take it, don't take it in isolation. But we want to replace a lot of our criticism toward people with, we're just going to use the word encouragement because there's a bunch of different words that mean encouragement. Replace the criticism, replace all, replace a lot of that with encouragement. Let me give you a couple verses here. Proverbs four twenty two. they, they is the word, they is the idea of words. Words, they are life to those who find them, and this is, the, this is the part right here, healing. And healing to all of their flesh. Healing. That little Hebrew word is the whole idea of something that was hurt and injured and wounded. And then the word is spoken into that wound, into that hurt, into that injury. Something is said, something is spoken into that person And healing begins. Like, what does that mean? I don't really know what exactly it means, but he's saying words actually can bring some healing. Give you the same kind of idea here. Next verse. I'm going to forgive you, but you need to turn that. All right. Okay, so here's the verse right here. Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals, conceals violence. Now, this is going really old school. Some of you all remember an artist. He actually is still going. He's still, he's still playing. He's still selling out. He's in Greenville in about a month or so. There's a guy named Toby Mack. All right. Toby Mack is like the only like 47-year-old guy that can get up on stage, dance around with a bunch of 20-year-olds, and then everybody out there is just doing the same thing. All right he's got, I was running the other day and I was listening to this one song he had called Speak Life, Speak Life, Speak Life. And he's just talking about exactly what we're talking about. And one of the phrases, he says, speak life to the deadest, darkest night. That's what I want to challenge us to do. You're like, well, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm not a spiritual gift of encouragement. Well, because that is a spiritual gift. I mean, you understand that Romans 12, eight, some of your translations say it's the gift of exhortation, Other translations say encouragement. That's really what exhortation is, all right? Encouragement is you speak courage into somebody. You say, you know what? This is what I see in you. This is what I believe God is doing in your life. So here's here's, here's the pattern. This is a pattern I thought about all week long. The pattern that we do, and this is especially true with those that are closest to us, Those that are closest to us, this is the pattern I see in my own life and I see it in your life and I see it in our church's life. This is the pattern we typically go to. The pattern is that we assume the strong points of people and we criticize and come down on the weak points of people. I mean, we—if you don't believe that—go on social media. We assume the strengths. It's like, yeah, I'll take all the strengths that that guy has, all the strengths that she has. But you know what? When it comes to the weak spots, I am coming down on that hard. Now, let me be clear: as we've talked about before, there is everything right about correction and reproof and lovingly confronting different patterns. We're not saying that there is a place for that. But the pattern is we assume we assume the strengths and we criticize the weaknesses. Let's be honest. Again, how many times have you said something maybe to your spouse? They've done like four different awesome things that weekend, but they forgot to do the one thing and you're like, man, I, for, I can't believe you forgot this. And instead of the four things, it's the one thing that we camp out on. I have seen some of you guys at the athletic fields with your kids. I've seen you at the athletic fields. Now some of you are like awesome, and some of you are like, are you trying to live through your child or something? Because it's all about that little third grader playing first base better. It's like put your foot on the bag, get your knees bent, get the glove down, through do the wicket. And it's like coach him, but I mean, you I've, have you not seen parents berate their little third grader coming off? You're like dad, just because you. I just didn't say that. I should not say Well, I will say, just because you were bad in sports, just because you couldn't make anything but JV doesn't mean you got to. See, I'm doing it right now. You see that? I'm doing it right now. I'm speaking like death to you. But the idea is, how can I not assume his strengths and point out his weaknesses? So here's the challenge. And before you sit there and go, I don't think God would be a part of that, uh, I would think you would be uh, incorrect. I would think you would be incorrect. Um, here's the pattern I would like you to do uh, is assume the weaknesses and yet point out the strengths. When I say strengths, I don't just mean, Oh, you got like great calves. I'm not talking about that. All right. We're talking about, you see something that God is doing in them. Maybe it's just a glimpse, maybe it's just a glimmer. And then you, instead of just assuming it and not saying anything about it, you actually take the time To point it out, write a note, put an email, speak a word, do something that you say, you know what, here's what I see in you. Because how many times we see something, we don't ever say it. I'll give you a great example, real quick, as we close. There's a great story you ought to read before you go to bed tonight in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7. There's a guy in there named Gideon, and Gideon was a wimp by any declaration, any kind of definition. He's a wimp, okay? He's like the youngest, he's the baby of the family, and his family is the weakest in the whole tribe, and his tribe is the weakest in the whole nation, and his nation is the weakest in the whole area, and he is down there in a Hole, he's in a hole hiding from the enemies, and God shows up and says, Yay, mighty valoring, mighty man of valor. He's in a hole hiding. And God says, You're a mighty man of valor. You know what he's saying? He's saying other people would look at you and say, Coward, weakling, fearful, weak, get your mess together. What does God do? God looks at him and he knows he's weak, he knows he's cowardly, he knows he's afraid, he knows all that stuff, but he sees a glimmer and he sees what God's gonna do through him and he says that into his life. You are a mighty man. Who me? Who me? It's like that's who you're gonna be. Do you not think it would dynamically change some relationships in your life if just over the next two days, just over the next two days, just the next two days, just the next two days, you're like, you know what? I'm not saying you don't confront if that's really needed, I'm I'm saying that you. Actually, recognize some of the things in your family. It's like, here's what I see God doing in you. Honey, this is the way I've seen God change you over the, and you're like, well, I can't find anything. Look harder, okay? Look harder. There's something, there's something there that you can say, you know what? I'm recognizing something that God is doing in you. Every positive thing you think about somebody, tell them, email them, text them, send them a note, your spouse, your kids, in your connect group, you do that.